You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. This is Dr. Kathleen Kavorik, and we are here in Rapid City at Terrasanta Retreat Center, and we are fanning the flames of the Holy Spirit, uh, as, as I do from time to time on radio with you all. So welcome out there, you listeners, and we invite you into our program today that is talking about taking a leap or two of faith. And uh, these are very much Holy Spirit-driven experiences. And for the second half of our show, I want to welcome Camille Polly. Camille, so Hi, good Kathy. to have you it's with us. Good to be with you again. God bless you, friend. Hey, it's it's great to great to get a chance to talk to you more. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, Camille. Would you do a little snapshot of yourself for our listeners? Tell them a little bit about you before we dive into your story. Well, I'm about five foot two. I yeah. have, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's see, brown eyes. <laughs> you oh. are funny. I love oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Well, actually, um, they probably, it's not a bad idea. You know, right? since people just can't, can't get see a, us, an image in your head. <laughs> I'm short and old. <laughs> no. I, my husband, I'll start there because that's the important part. My husband is Michael Polly, um, light of my life. And we married late in life. I married him when I was 38. And he is the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. So some of your listeners may have heard him on the radio on Real Presence. We're so happy to have mm-hmm. him in that role. Camille, well, it's really I am, wonderful. I am happy to give him to you because he does what he does, he does really well. And I'm very proud of him. But it is hard because he's in peer right now. And he's there all through legislative session for the next eight weeks. And it is tough. We've never experienced this in my family before. And the girls wake up every morning and they're like, where's daddy? (laughs) He's doing the work of the Lord. He'll be back. But but it was a gift, a a great gift, I think, for him to be able to use his skills to serve the Lord in the great state of South Dakota. So we're really proud of him. (laughs) And I am... uh, here, newly transplanted here. Not so new, actually. Almost uh, two years in May. We'll have been two here two years. years. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. We were refugees to the great state of South Dakota <laughs> from Seattle, Washington. And uh, we came here in May of 2021. Um, really, because the only reason we left was to get out of the madness. It was insanity. And it was... Uh, it was particularly bad in Seattle, oh, wasn't golly. it? Oh, uh, golly. Everything you saw on TV and the radio and the newspaper oh. was 10 times worse. Yes, <laughs> yes. They didn't show you the worst part of it because, um, you know, there, there was just not a desire to really show what was going on on the part of people who were supporting it and promoting it and fueling the fire. So... We <laughs> yeah, that's that's the other kind of fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we didn't want to fan the flames yeah, of. <laughs> it really, it really was. But I've been working in the pro-life movement for thirty years, my whole career. I started fresh out of college, and um, and I love the work that I do. It's a very different kind of pro-life work than most organizations that do pro-life ministries, and we're very focused in what we do. My boss is Father Robert Spitzer. So a lot of your listeners have heard him on the radio or yes. seen him on TV. He's, He's got a show at Spitzer's Universe. Mm-hmm. He was my college president back at uh, Gonzaga. Yes, that's years right. Ago, you went to Gonzaga. Ago, yes. And you know, when you were at Gonzaga, almost every weekend I would either drive or fly to Gonzaga, and I was in uh-huh. his office uh, for the whole weekend typing up his books from dictation because he's you know he's legally blind. Um, he's fully blind now, but uh, back then he could still see a little bit. But I would yeah. type, and he would talk, and we would do that for about 16 to 20 hours every weekend. Oh, my gosh. And what I, a weekend. Oh, I, Kathy, I learned so <laughs> much. It. Well, it was like taking a 
whole college, you know, having a whole degree just listening to him and typing it down. And it was a great relationship because for both of us, because he's a teacher at heart and he loves the human connection and he needed an interlocutor. He called mm -hmm. me his interlocutor so that he could actually speak to someone and not just type it in a computer. Oh yeah. And so he would teach it and I would type it and then I would stop and ask questions and I don't understand this or could you explain this more? And it helped him because then he knew you know, if Camille doesn't understand it, then the yeah. audience I'm trying to reach is not going to understand it. And so oh, it that's was, perfect. yeah, it was really yeah. nice for him and great for me, except, you know, so often I'd have to stop and say, how do you spell that word? <laughs> I don't even know what that word is. You know? <laughs> and that probably helped him too, maybe too, to dial yeah. it down <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But that um, was great. And now, Camille, your your ministry is called Healing the Culture. Yes. Right? Yes. It's called Healing the Culture. And I think it's a great title. We took it off of his book called Healing the Culture. And the whole premise of it is that you cannot stop abortion or euthanasia or the tracks of a physician-assisted suicide if you don't first solve the cultural problems that are deeply embedded. Um, like get to the root. You have to get yes. to the root. And, and yes. what's driving all of the momentum to abortion oh. and suicide is, and, and the momentum is horrendous. It's horrible. It's it's and it's picked up speed, especially yes. since Dobbs. But exponential. Yeah, and we weren't. It's not like we weren't expecting it. But what's driving it all are very narrow, unsophisticated, and destructive definitions of words that the culture promotes: freedom and success, love, happiness, quality of life, meaning. Yes. All those words have been co-opted. So that's what we do. We can talk about more, but about that a little later. But um, that's our what our focus is. It's more philosophical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Camille, tell us a little bit about your story of, yeah. of getting into the right to life field yeah. and yeah. a little bit about your le leaps well, of faith. I, you there. know, I grew up in New Mexico. My father took a leap of faith, and he was my sort of my role model for all the leaps that I've taken throughout the years, and not without bumps and scrapes and bruises. And, you know, I've got a lot of battle scars from all those leaps. But, but my father, he and, he and my mom, we're in New Jersey, and I was born in Patterson, New Jersey, which is now very run down and a scary place to be. But at the time, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> but my dad was in television, and he got an opportunity to be a program manager in Las Cruces, New Mexico, at New Mexico State University. Wow. So he took a huge leap of faith and moved the whole family across the country from everything he knew in his family and helped run this, this TV station. And that's where I got my love for TV and theater and public speaking, and, and that's what I went into in college. And it was in college that I got the drive to combine all those things to do something important. And I, uh, I started pro-life clubs in college. I love that. I love yeah. that. And, and just to pause for a minute to look at that um, example that you got from your parents yeah. of taking that leap. And I think for all of us who've really taken big leaps, I, I would guess all of us have had some examples of that kind of faith that fuel us to be able to take the leap ourselves. Yeah. If yeah. we really think about it. You have to see somebody else do it or, or at least be really motivated by the Holy Spirit to take that. that for, and for me, it was the Holy Spirit working through the, the mentors and the role models I had in my life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so I... Um, out of college, I had, right out of college, I had the opportunity to work for a state right to life office, Human Life of Washington, which is the Washington State chapter of National yes. Right to Life. 
And that was another leap to faith because I had had a phone call from National Right to Life and they wanted me to work in their national office in media, working in their newspaper. Or I could take this job with Human Life of Washington, much more local, less glamorous, not in Washington, D.C., but, you know, less glamorous and um, kind of learn the nuts and bolts of running a state organization and and doing that. And, And I decided it was a hard choice. Yeah. But I decided I... I don't need to go to Washington, D.C. to do something that's really going to be profound. I want to go somewhere where I can learn more, um, you know, and and somewhere where I can have more of an impact. Uh So I decided to go with Human Life of Washington. And it's a funny thing because, my, and I moved to Seattle to do it. My husband, Michael, tells the funny story about when he was working in Washington, D.C. He was a press secretary for Congressman Chris Smith. And he says he was standing in the subway one day um, waiting for the, the subway to come. And there was an ad on the wall, and it was for a bank. And it said, such and such bank, the name of the bank, the most important bank in the most important city in the most important country in the world. <laughs> and he was just like looking at this thing saying, good Grief. <laughs> that sums really, up are you everything full that of yourself? people think. Yeah, right? I mean, oh my gosh, right there in Capitol Hill. And so, you know, I, I was thinking that was kind of my mindset. Yes. But I decided Seattle is actually the most important city. And doing this work, I met Father Spitzer right away. He was a yeah. board member at Human Life of Washington. Wow. And they hired me. I thought I was going to do a bunch of lobbying at the legislature and testifying at hearings. And I did do that. Uh But the reason they hired me was to meet this Jesuit priest and to learn from him so that I could start this new program. And that would have been Father Spitzer and the very start of it, right? But I thought, oh, I'm going to Seattle. You know, that's (laughs) Starbucks, Amazon, you know, Microsoft. That's the most. And I'm doing the most. And what could be better than pro-life? So I had this attitude of I'm doing the most important work in the most important city, (laughs) in the most important country, in the world. You know, and I have this real chip on my shoulder. But God is so funny. He he uses that. He uses those sorts of things to push us into where he wants us to be. And then later on, he'll fix that over time. He's so patient, you know. He does. If we're open, he will work on that. Yes. He will will even use our faults to bring about good um, if we're open to it. So I moved to Seattle and started working with Father Spitzer. And I remember the first time I met him, they had me sit in a room with Father Spitzer with a little camcorder going the whole time. It was supposed to be an hour meeting where he was going to tell me this philosophy he had in his head and I was supposed to take notes. It had never been written out before. And it lasted four hours. And he never stopped talking. And I never wrote a word. I was just, my pen was poised in the air the whole time with my jaw on the floor. It, what he was teaching was so amazing. Your eyes wide. Oh, my I can see goodness. it. I thought, this, why don't people know this? Yeah. People have, have to know this. And then I really did believe I was doing the most important work in, in the, the most world. <laughs> I did. And, and um, it all took off from there. We worked on his curriculum. We started writing his book, Healing the Culture. I started training hundreds of people around the country to speak and to teach this in, in schools. And uh, it was amazing. It was good for me, and it was good for the world. The world really needed what he has. But but it was also a leap for you. It was a leap. To, yeah, it kind was of not a, what I wanted a, to do. A little hop it into... Was, I, you know, I was going to be a lawyer. That was my, my biggest interest. I was ready to go to law school. I was I wanted to go to you know, state legislator, late legislature and, and lobby. And this was very different. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm yes. now learning philosophy and, uh, and I was hooked. 
Yes, yes. And listeners, we hope that you are hooked and that you will stay with us through break. Uh, we're here with Camille Pauly, who is going to tell you more about her story um, as, as she leads the ministry Healing the Culture. So stay with us. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. The, the very day that uh, I was appointed as bishop, uh, I came over to the studio and, and uh, had an interview with you. And, and so that was my first introduction to Real Presence. It's been, it's been part of my life as a bishop from the very beginning. And I felt... You know, from that very, very first time that uh, we talked uh, on the air, I, I felt like I already was being introduced to the faithful of our diocese and to this whole area, which which is a great thing because, you know, one of the, the challenges for a new bishop, an old bishop, any bishop, is to um, have contact with his people and to be a part of their lives in some way. And Real Presence Radio from the first day has helped me to do that. I really feel like I have a way to to reach the lives of our Catholic faithful and others as well who just happen to be listening. And and that's a real blessing because in a diocese as large as ours, area-wise, it's, it's hard to get around to every place. And um, I traveled all the parishes as much as I can, and, and yet this is a way that I can reach people that otherwise perhaps I wouldn't be able to visit with. And they get a chance to hear what's on my mind, and, and uh, through different events that I've participated in on the air, I've heard some of their questions, too, which has been a lot of fun. So it's, it really is a blessing to me. I, I feel very fortunate that this, this network is so alive and so vibrant in, in our diocese and really in this whole Northern Plains area. It's wonderful. Did you know you can listen to all your favorite local shows like Awaken and Real Presence Live on any podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Amazon Music? Just search for Real Presence Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. And don't forget to give us a good rating so others can discover the shows. Listen to your favorite RPR shows anytime, anywhere by subscribing on any podcast platform. Just search for Real Presence Radio today. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. This is Kathleen Kavorik, and I'm here today at Terra Santa Retreat Center in Rapid City, South Dakota. And Camille Pauly is my guest, and she is telling us um, about her story with some leaps of faith that she had in her journey. So, listeners, I hope that you are coming alongside us and thinking about your own leaps of faith, maybe ones you've made in the past, or maybe God is calling you. Maybe you're getting those first little nudges like you heard about from Bridget in the last hour, those little nudges that maybe you're supposed to be doing something new. Um, So Camille, tell us, um, you were with Human Life of Washington, Mm -hmm. and then, then what? What was your next leap? Well, the program that we were teaching was called Life Principles, and we developed a whole curriculum based on Father Spitzer's book, Healing the Culture. And, uh, and it really went through, like I mentioned before, all those 
those notions, happiness, success, quality of life, love, freedom, what's a human person? And it was so new and so amazing that it grew really fast. And we were speaking all over the country. I was traveling 48 out of um, 52 weeks a year. <laughs> I was on the road um, doing events and training people to speak. And we had moved into Canada, and then I'd, I'd even gone to um, the UK and was training people there. We got so big so fast, it, it soon was obvious it was too big for a state right-to-life office. And so we decided to break off and start a new organization. And that was hard. That was a huge leap of faith. Yeah. Because this would have been in the early 2000s, when all through the 90s, there were so many splinters in the pro-life movement. I don't know if you remember that, but... but Every organization was big, you know, and, and everybody was trying to do everything at that time. And then people started feeling like, well, I can do this part better and I can do that part better. So there was a lot of division, a lot of splintering, a lot of split-offs. And Father Spitzer was a unifier. So mm -hmm. he was a little hesitant to split off and be yet another splinter. Yes, you know? and yes. He, he really explored that with me for a long time to say, is this the right thing to do? Is this going to cause more tension? Is it going to cause division in the movement? And in the end, we saw that, you know, we, Dan Kennedy, who was the president of Healing the, of Human Life of Washington at the time, was supportive. And we saw that we really needed to grow. So we split <gasps> off in 2003. Okay. And we started Healing the Culture. And um, <laughs> it was a huge leap of faith because it was just me. <laughs> I'd been working for an organization where everything was done for me. You know, oh, I didn't have yes. to raise any money. I didn't have to pay my own salary. I didn't have to worry about where the computers or the chairs were coming from. And the staff was all hired around me. And if I needed an assistant, they got me one. And volunteers were somehow just showing up at the door. You know, and they had this newsletter that was going out to 50,000 people every month. And they had a crew of like 25 volunteers. I mean, and, and, and there was already the system in place. Yes, there were yes. events that happened. It was like its own thing. And suddenly I was all by myself. Yeah. And I, I'd never taken a business class in my life. I didn't know <laughs> what a, a spreadsheet was. I didn't know what a, you know, a profit loss statement was and a budget. What people actually make those things. I mean, <laughs> I was single. I didn't need a budget. You know, so I, I'd never raised money. Uh, you know, and so I was all alone in the world. Father Spitzer gave me some crash courses <laughs> as best as he could. I did some reading online, and off I went. And I, was, I worked out of my home, my bedroom. I actually lived in a barn. These people, who I, <laughs> you live in a barn, literally, Camille. Literally, well, I did. Well, these people I lived with converted their barn into a home, and healing the culture was on the bottom floor, and I lived on the top floor. And, uh, and literally, my first desk was a folding table. I didn't have a chair. I had a rocking chair. I didn't ever need a chair, right? I was always out and about. So I pulled up the rocking chair up to the plastic <laughs> table, and that was my desk. And I didn't have a computer. I wrote everything by hand. And then I'd drive oh to the gosh. library, and I would use the library computer. You get one hour a day, you know. <laughs> I my, can picture this. I can picture my, this. My email address was, you know, healingtheculture at hotmail.com. Oh, yeah. I didn't even have a website. And I had to figure out how to raise money. And it was so excruciatingly, painfully hard. But little by little, I started meeting people. And yes. I met a lawyer when I was in Oregon uh, speaking. And he said, y you kind of need some help. <laughs> <laughs> so he got on our board and started helping me formulate the organization and submitting all of our paperwork and getting the nonprofit status and, and all that. And then he gave us a chunk of money. And, uh, and off I went. And I can tell you, the biggest leap of faith I've ever taken in my life is, is well, okay, that's not true. <laughs> One of the biggest leaps I've ever taken in my life is, is raising money. 
Yeah. It was so hard. I was so embarrassed, you know. <laughs> I would get yes, to red ask. in the face. I would hyperventilate. I had this one guy. He was elderly and became one of my dearest friends in the whole wide world. His name was A.J. Mullally, and he's passed away now. And he was one of our biggest benefactors. And the first time I had asked him for money after meeting him, going to dinner with him a few times, learning how to, you know, have a relationship with the donor, I'm sitting on my bed at home in my bedroom. In the barn. In the barn, <laughs> in my slippers. And I'm on the phone. I pick up the phone. It took me about five minutes to get the courage to call him up on the phone. And I dial him, and, and he says, hello. And I'm like, oh, hi, AJ. This is Camille. And um, uh, how, um, how, how are you? <laughs> and he's like... what's your ulterior motive you can already smell a rat so I'm stumbling through this ridiculous ass kind of weaving around and beating around the bush and finally he says to me after about two minutes of this agonizing conversation (laughs) he says Camille you hate asking for money just about as much as I hate giving it Oh my gosh, that is so funny. And he gave us our first $50,000. Yeah, he gave us our first $50,000 gift. And I was floored. I was like, it's that easy? Really? Okay. (laughs) And I just kind of took off from there. It was bumps and starts. Mm. But I learned something really valuable. I learned that you're not asking people for money. You're asking them, inviting them to be part of something they desperately want to be part of. And it's the only way that they can because they're busy doing other things, raising families, you know, working at church, working at their businesses, working in their community. And they want to be involved in pro-life. They want to stop abortion. And I've realized that you're inviting them to be part of something that um, that is very dear to their hearts, and they want to they want to help you and support you, and that made all the difference in the world. Yes. So we built a team, and right there in Seattle, and we eventually got an office, and I had several. And staff you got a members. real chair. I had a real chair. <laughs> <laughs> it rolled. And a desk. It rolled instead of rocked. Yes, <laughs> and I got my own desk and a computer. <laughs> God was so good. Yeah. I think a good takeaway for your listeners is. You know, what you were saying before, Kathy, if there's something in your mind you want to do, but you think, I can't do that. I'm not like her. I wasn't like me either back then. <laughs> yes, yes, right. I was nothing step like what step. I am now. It's all one step at a time. Yes. And God guides you, and he gives he you does. what you need. And if he doesn't give you what you need to get it started, then it's probably not what you need to be doing. So you start, and you try, and you you accept the first few failures. I, I teach my daughters that. Yes. Let yeah. yourself fail. Pick up. Cry a little bit. Pick up and try it again. Mm-hmm. And if after several failures, you're just, just not coming, okay, maybe you're not meant to play the cello. You know, let's yeah. try the flute yeah. or something else. But you got to pick up and try it. That's how God makes heroes like Bridget and what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it is so true. Or maybe the timing is off. It could be. You know, there are a lot of different, lot of different aspects. But I love that, Camille. Thank you for sharing that difficulty of making one of those first big calls. And it's like, it's not easy, no. but all you have to do in that case is open your mouth mm-hmm. or you take that next step, yeah. whatever it is. Sometimes your failure ends up being a success, yeah. and you're so afraid teacher. to make the failure that you don't get the success. There was an, another time mm-hmm. I was with Michael, and we saw some benefactors, and one of my friends pointed them out at a church and said, those people over there, you know, they're very wealthy. They could give you some money. So like an idiot, I ran across the parking lot. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. I ran across the parking Whoops. lot and, and said, oh, I, I wanted to meet you. Um, I'm running Healing the Culture to a great organization. And um, maybe we, and then I didn't know what I was going to say next. And I was like, maybe we could talk later. And these two people are standing there with their coats and their purse, you know, and looking at me like, 
who are you again? <laughs> well, it ended up, they thought it was so humorous. They thought, they thought it was so funny and innocent and naive and real and authentic that they called me up. They oh, found out who I was I and it. called me up and they, be, and they ended up on my board. Oh, so they th- and I think sweet. they thought this girl, same as the Joe Wetzel, the, the, you know, the, the attorney I met in Oregon, they're like, this girl needs a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they were willing to dive in yeah, and, and help learned, you. I've learned that embarrassing yourself is not necessarily a bad thing. No. You know, you, you embarrass yourself when you sometimes don't know what you're doing, but you reveal that you don't know what you're doing. And if the people around you are good and they see that what you're doing is good, they'll yeah. help you. Yes. They'll, yes. They, they'll help you figure it out. People are forgiving when they have God in their hearts. And, and basically, no one has it all together. Nobody you does. We're all faking it. <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> It's true. It's very true. That that is great. So what next in healing the culture? Or or do you want to share a little bit about what you're doing now? Yeah, well, we decided, um, like I mentioned, a year and a half ago to move healing the culture from Seattle to Rapid City. And that's a leap. That's a leap. And I know this sounds like an oxymoron or something not quite, something's off there, but we needed to grow. And we oh, needed yes. to grow fast because we were all, again, we were all over the country, all over the world. And I, I had a, a big staff. We were producing materials for high schools. We had a high school textbook. Um, we have a high school textbook series called Principles and Choices. We created a Love website, that. respectlife.university, with uh, free videos for adults. Um, we created a film series, series for children called Philo and Sophie. It's kind of like Sesame Street, only it's all pro-life for little, little, littles. It is so good. Isn't Camille, it wonderful? I know, I love, love it. it. We'll tell people later how to access it. But, you know, and we, were, we create a college program. We, we go to dozens of college campuses every year to train pro-life college students how to do what we do. And we needed to grow. We needed more room, more staff. We needed a bigger film. We needed to build a film studio. And I thought, I can't do this in Seattle. They're shutting everything down. Yeah. They're closing everything up. We were being targeted big time because we were pro-life. And people were leaving the state. I couldn't attract staff anymore. So I thought a bunch of our donors were leaving. Half of our donors left. Uh, really? Because most of our donors were in Seattle at the time. Half of them left the state. By now, it's probably more like two-thirds of our donors have left the state of Washington. Oh, that's unreal. And so I thought, i, I got to get out of here. <laughs> i got to do- go somewhere where things are happening. And I asked my husband... We were deer in the headlight. This was in like May of 2020 when everything was crazy. I said, is there any place in the world that's normal? And he said, no. (laughs) But the closest you're going to get is Rapid City, South Dakota. So we came to take a look and we were shocked. It's like no one is wearing a mask. No, everything's open. There's people everywhere breathing on each other. Do you people know what's happening in the rest of the world? It was, we were amazed. And so we came back again a couple months later and we were hooked. And I thought, this is the place. And we had heard Christy Nome speaking on radio about yes. the business culture. She inviting all these businesses in. And I thought, this is it. This is where we need to be. And I was so sure. It was a leap to faith. Yes. Because our board was kind of like, you're going, you're going where? where? Yes. <laughs> what? Are you crazy? But they caught the wave and they saw we laid out a whole spreadsheet of the reasons why. And we have never looked back and never regretted it. And it's been amazing here, the doors that have opened to our ministry. I love that. And, and I think that's just so true when we take that leap of faith, yeah. that the doors open. So listeners, stay with us. We're going to go to break now, but stay with us and hear more about Camille's story. And we'll be bringing Bridget back in for the last half hour. So stay with us here on Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 